the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Well, happy Tuesday, Chicago land. My name is Brian Fromm. I'm here with my co-host, Ian Simpkins. You are listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Ian, day two. Day two of the voyage. We're back. And uh, Are we sticking with Voyage? I think Voyage. We're going with all of them. We're going I didn't realize you were as, a, as aquatic as you are. <laughs> uh, after the first show yesterday, I had a lot of cool feelings driving home. Uh, like, yeah, man, we did that. This and that. Last night, I was tired. Yeah, I was, which is a strange thing to be tired from. We just talked, yes. right? Like, Do you ever feel like, man, I don't even feel justified in being tired, but I am actually. T- it's also like a teeny bit of panic like what did i what did i just say i yeah. hope hope none of that was heresy right there there is a little bit of that and uh it's also you know the first day of school you always went home after the first day of school going oh i'm a little tired that was all that was a lot that was a lot but See, i was, so home, I was homeschooled so i don't have any of those experiences <laughs> i don't i don't even know what you're talking I feel about like we're gonna do that a lot here the, the homeschool the, the homeschool talk about will that. show up a lot absolutely um, but a ton of fun we're really excited about the feedback we got from people after day one like sometimes it's good to like oh people listen to that that's right. It was good. It's not just you and I talking to each well, other. It's also strange too because we're pastors, we're preachers, mm-hmm. teachers, and you you know when you're teaching in a room, uh, it's it's more obvious if something lands or doesn't land yes. if people are resonating, and it is it is a little interesting you know to to be in a in a booth kind of environment because we'll we'll look at each other in between the breaks like did that make sense did that work? Did that, were people tracking with that so it's a it's a pretty interesting venue and so you could follow us on facebook there's a facebook page up called the common good um but as a way of introduction as a reminder again my name is brian Fromm. i am the lead pastor at four corners community church uh, in darien illinois remind us about your your credentials I'm, my credentials yes. goodness i like long walks on the beach uh, i have an associate's degree from henry ford community college and i'm the teaching pastor uh community christian church at naperville's yellow box yeah, so I said last night, you know, just kind of went home and chilled. But I, I took in at least most of the national championship game. Clemson uh, throttling a beatdown of Alabama. Like, I was ready to watch that whole game. I was going <laughs> to stay up late. And all of a sudden, it hit me halfway through the third quarter. I'm like, going to bed? You this went to bed in the third quarter? Oh, that thing was done. <laughs> Put a fork in it. That thing was done, which was fascinating. Because if anyone out there is college football fans, you know that uh, Clemson's been kind of nipping at the heels of Alabama, and they play a lot. But Alabama's kind of known as the, you know, they're the New England Patriots of college football. Uh, and to see them, that was the worst loss in the history of Nick Saban's time at wow. Alabama, and it was a beatdown. So it was enjoyable, enjoyable to watch. <laughs> your your evening was considerably cooler than mine. I went home and watched an hour of the Wiggles. <laughs> 
And then I what watched, you don't know is that Ian don't, doesn't have kids. No, right. <laughs> Just a normal Monday night routine. Wiggles followed by this show on Netflix called Tidying Up. I don't know if my wife is trying to subtly tell me something. Like, we should watch this Tidying Up show. I was like, wow. That was really subtle. That feels like uh, nesting going on. As <laughs> it is. Pregnant it's exactly right. About to have a baby. So uh, it was good to, get, uh, good to be back at it today, though. Uh, here on The Common Good, and we're glad that you joined us. Uh, but yesterday, on our first show, we had the privilege of interviewing Julie Royce. Uh, Julie has written extensively uh, for Christianity Today, Religion News Service, Christian Post, many other places, but specifically recently she re- has written for World Magazine, um, a- a specifically an article about Harvest Bible Chapel, uh, and some of the things going on there. And so it was such a privilege to have Julie on yesterday. Uh, really impressive. And uh, it's, it's impressive to talk to a journalist and just get what they do and just the right. impressiveness and the thoroughness of her work. She's also just incredibly wise. Like it, it wasn't just like thorough work, but I thought she, she just had incredible insight to the complexity of what she's reporting, what she's investigating on. I just, yeah, I've, I've, she was an incredible first guest. And so we wanted to circle back to that a little bit just because. Uh, after the show or during the show, there was some movement uh, in the story. Yeah, tell us a little bit about and, that movement. Um, what happened, you might remember in the interview yesterday, Julie discussed that, that there was a lawsuit against her and a blog called The Elephant's Debt, I believe it's called, uh, which has been kind of criticizing and um, bringing to light, in their opinion, things going on at Harvest Bible Chapel. Uh, and surprisingly, yesterday, um, Harvest Bible Chapel... Uh, dropped the lawsuit. And so what they said was, we, we received these outcomes as God's direction and have instructed our legal counsel to drop the suit entirely. Wow. And Julie Royce, in a statement to Christiana Today about Harvest's decision, was quote, her quote is this, uh, it appears to be motivated by a desire to suppress the truth rather than a desire to reconcile with the other defendants and me. Hmm. And so uh, heavy. It's good to see a lawsuit go away, I guess, but... Yeah. Uh, I left that interview and this article and all the other stuff. I, I just my primary feeling is sadness. Yeah, uh, sadness uh, about what's going on with you know a flagship church, but just um, yeah, just sad about it. Yeah, I, I think too the 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 brokenness of how many people seem to be involved. You know, like it is. It's sad. It's sad from a distance, but the more that you like drill down, we were talking about this a little bit yesterday too. Like the just the raw humanity of like these are these are people, these are stories, these are families. This is this. I, it just it bums me out, and it's it's hard because like I, I often wonder, does the unchurched world you know look at some of these things and think, well, that's that. This is why I have a problem with organized religion. Or this yeah. is why I have a, yeah. an issue with you know this idea or that concept or this particular like it's i i i totally get that seems strange to say as a pastor that i get it that sometimes you just see busted up humanity and you see stuff get messy in a really unhelpful way and it's like all right well that that is real uh but it also still i think it it's part of what's important about this show is helping us actually drill down deeper and engage with the messiness of first this just grieves us and i think uh, yeah, I would love, I would love, you know, she talked about reconciliation. Yeah. I, I, that would be my prayer, to be honest, that this, that this would lead to full restoration, that people would be, that all the information would come to light and that it, it, people's lives would be restored, that that would be uh, a place of healing. And I think for me, I'm, I'm interested to know if you had the same reaction on my drive home or as I was just kind of reading more, um, I've, 
as I get older, I try to get to the point where I don't read these types of things or hear stories and judge like, oh, you all died, but instead use them as a mirror to ask questions about myself. And uh, as we say over and over again, you and I are both pastors. Like That's primarily what our jobs are. And uh, it caused me to go um, where in my own ministry and in my own life uh, are there things that mm, people could say, oh, that doesn't is not a good reflection of the gospel. Yeah, right. Uh, where am I? Never want to be a hindrance. Right, right. Like, right. I don't want my church to be a hindrance. I don't want to be a hindrance personally. Um, I want there to be an authenticity, and that's what's made me most sad about the story. Like you said, like people from the outside reading what's going on and yeah. knowing of Harvest or Willow or any church, uh, just the damage that can be done. It, it, it grieved me, but it also has caused me to ask questions about my own ministry and my own life. I think that's a wise response, man. I had a, a Bible teacher in college say something like, the, the Bible primarily is a mirror, not binoculars. Yep. That's often we want to use it to like point out someone else's faults, mm-hmm. to like you know dismantle someone else's ideology, to make, make sure they are knocked down a rung. And it seems like in a lot of ways, in a lot of traditions, that Scripture is used primarily, first and foremost, Exactly to do what you just said. God, okay, show me where there's there's issues in my own heart. Mm-hmm. Like expose in me what's not clean. Lead me in, in your way everlasting. Like that's yeah. that's that's the prayer of the psalmist. Is that it's not just like help help me better decipher how bad everyone else is. <laughs> yeah. It's like no, God, do do a work first in me. Like let this word, which is crazy because. Like being homeschooled, part of our curriculum was reading the Bible, you know, cover to cover. So I know that I've read it, and and I there's still every year I'm like I don't know that I've ever read that. I don't know that I've ever noticed that stuff nope. just hits you in new ways. You're in new seasons of life, and I think what a helpful posture in general. Obviously, scripture needs to be used in ways to decipher, you know, false teaching and you know deal with conflict within your community. Right. But to begin with a posture that says, okay. It's really easy for me from the comfort of a computer screen in my living room to throw stones at somebody else. But yes. like what what in me looks kind of like that, God, that needs to be exposed, that needs to be like dealt with and, and help me to actually do that? I feel like as I get older, <laughs> I, I, I feel like I focus more when I read the Gospels and stuff on Jesus' reaction to the Pharisees right. and get uncomfortable. About yeah. It. The whole concept of that Jesus most... Um, butted heads with the religious leaders. Yeah. And then when I read the Gospels, my life most mirrors the religious leaders. Yeah, I right. grew up in the faith. I went to I, what I like to call the flagship Christian college in the country, Wheaton College. Yeah. So I'll go to my grave with that one. <laughs> we call it the Harvard of the Midwest, right? I mean, it is. And no, so, that. Um, you know, a lot of my background, I think, mirrors mm. most in the Gospels, you know, not the tax collectors or not the fishermen or right, not the prostitute, right. but the religious leaders. And who does Jesus rail on? Yeah, the right. religious leaders. And I think I, when I was younger, I, I kind of disconnected from that. But now that scares me. Yeah. It scares me as a pastor and as just as a follower of Jesus. I don't know that that's the worst response either. Like, yeah. I think, you know, James talks about, man, don't be quick to call yourself a teacher. You're going to be held to a higher yeah. account. Like, there, there is something to be said about... You and I are pastors. Jesus reserves his harshest criticisms for the religious elite. Uh, it's kind of the same thing that we do when we read in Scripture. Jesus is addressing, like, rich people. You know, sometimes for me, like, yeah, get them, Jesus. Get those yep. rich people. When you look at a global scale, that's us. Yep. We're, we are the rich people that Jesus and Paul and Peter are speaking to and speaking about. And yep. it is it is interesting that, you know, when this, the, the central thrust of the Gospels is addressing Often, you know, the marginalized coming alongside those who are uh, oppressed, and, and you know, we're we're a part of this like 
superpower of right. a of a country. And in a lot of ways, I think it's easy for us to miss the main themes and narratives of what Jesus is getting after. I think it's great to say use scripture as a mirror. That's a really good. Uh, that's a that is good advice. That is good advice. Well. Thanks to Julie for coming on yesterday. Hopefully we want to just give that update to that story more to drive us to prayer and to drive us to prayer. Um, but we're, we're off and running here. Day two of The Common Good here on AM 1160. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about a book that I've been reading uh, and something it's kind of spurred in me and we want to challenge you with as well. Uh, so join us when we come back here. The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Brian Fromm. I'm enjoying these tunes. I'm joined today by Ian Simpkins. Uh, I am the lead pastor of Four Corners Community Church. Okay, I just, hold on. When was the last time you heard that song? Uh, high school? College? Yeah, love high school it. for sure. That I just, love it. Holy cow, that brings me back. Okay, hi. Hi, I'm back. My name is Ian Simpkins, uh, the teaching pastor at Community Christian Church's Naperville's Yellow Box, one of 10 locations throughout Chicagoland. Happy to be here, Brian. We're day two. We're making it. They haven't turned our microphones off yet. Yes. Fingers crossed. And they got good music going for us. Well, we're glad to be back. Uh, I wanted to read a quote, Ian, that I read in a book. Ed Stetzer wrote a book called Christians in the Age of Outrage. I love Ed Stetzer, and I love that book. It's a great book. Christians in the Age of Outrage. Hopefully in the future we'll have... Uh, we'll have Ed on here to talk more about this. Um, but here's the quote I want us to wrestle with here, and I want you out there uh, to wrestle with as well. Stetzer writes, The majority of people who claim to be Christian do not have a Christian worldview. Rather, they have a secular worldview with a few dashes of Christianity sprinkled in. That's intense. That's very Stetzer, I think, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And I, I probably know a little more of the context of that quote, but just taking that at face value, I think I think personally one of the most dangerous things we can do with Jesus is to pick and choose which parts of him that we take. Mm. Right? I think I think it was Rich Mullins who was probably kicked out of this particular venue when he said, uh, I think that's why Christians created highlighters so they can highlight the parts of the Bible they like and ignore <laughs> the parts they don't. I think after saying that, he was he was asked to not come back. But I, that's really, that proof texting is, is this kind of thing that not just for preachers and teachers, but for Christians in general is really easy to do, to really latch on to son of Jesus, the Jesus that makes us feel good, or the Jesus that resonates with my particular worldview, and then ignore some of the, the difficult stuff, the stuff that maybe pokes at, at my heart. And I think... If I'm being really honest, I understand the temptation. Oh, totally. And when I think of what is a secular worldview, what is he talking about? Uh, I think it is the idea of right self-promotion. It's the idea of hmm. uh, materialism. It's the idea of acquisition hmm. and, and myself primarily being uh, the primary driver of my decisions, whereas a Christian worldview is the opposite. Right. right? Jesus uh, often talked about the last shall be first, and, and he models sacrifice uh, and I think what Setzer is saying here is like, you know, we, we buy into a lot of the Christian stuff about going to heaven, hmm. about the things that benefit me, right? Grace and forgiveness, those make me feel good. But when it comes to how am I going to live, I think what he's saying is oftentimes we as followers of Jesus aren't living as Christ has called us to live. You know, I, I think maybe a way that we could say it is that for a lot of us, Jesus is a great Savior but not a great role model. Hmm. Like we're grateful for the resurrection the empty tomb, the ticket to heaven when we get out of here, whatever that means. But like when it comes to actually like loving my enemies, right. Or like taking care of the least of these among us, Mm -hmm. like that's the kind of stuff that I feel like, 
it's difficult for us to first really answer what does that mean, you know, in my context. And sometimes maybe that's what overwhelms us. We're like, I don't know what that looks like here and now, so I'm just going to ignore it. So we like kind of latch ourselves to this idea of like Jesus in the sky so that mm. when I'm done here, at least I get to go to the good place instead of the bad place. Right. But like Jesus didn't simply come to die and raise again. Yeah. <clears throat> like, he lived and loved and, and says, go and do that now. Yep. Like, that's what the Great Commission is about. That's yep. what the ascension – he says, hey, I've, I've given you the tools. You're going to get the Holy Spirit, and, and that's going to change things, and you're going to live differently as a result. And that's, I think, sometimes harder to do than we realize. Yeah, and it's so damaging to the gospel when uh, the followers of Jesus are living no differently. Right. People are going, well, what's the point? Right. What's the point? I'd rather sleep in on Sundays then. Right. And uh, I think he – we see that in the world of politics now. We see that when it comes to money. We yeah. see it all across the board. Uh, and it's a real struggle. And I think um, the, the thing we need to do is to first and foremost have that as a point of prayer. Mm. Like We should be convicted with what kind of worldview are we living with. Yeah, totally. But it doesn't then put us to despair. It puts us instead to prayer. Right. And, um, and then baby steps. Yeah. Right? What are little steps I can take? to be living out more the worldview of Christ right. rather than the worldview of this world. Well, and you use the word worldview, and I think worldviews are like lenses, right? They're like yeah. they're like glasses. And most of the time, they're things I look through, not at. So yeah. a lot of times, my worldview isn't even something that I'm aware that I'm looking through until, you know, something fogs it up. Something That's why I think, like, church and good teaching and community and accountability is so important because that kind of has a way of fogging up our lenses of sorts and realizing you know, take the glasses off for a second like oh man i've i've been looking through this particular lens for a long time i didn't realize it like helpful accountability and community will help fog up the lenses a bit and say hey i don't even know that you're aware that you're doing this and i think that yeah. maybe that's what we do for each other so I'd, I'd encourage you to pick up that book christians in the age of outrage by uh, ed stetzer and it is uh, it is convicting saying how are we going to live differently than the world around us how does how does our lives look any different. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk about one of those issues that plagues both Christians and non-Christians alike. And if you believe the studies, it increasingly plagues us, and that is the issue of loneliness. We want to talk about what is the gospel, what is the good news of Jesus have to say towards the loneliness that studies say so many of us feel. So that's coming up next. Join us on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Brian Fromm. I'm the lead pastor of Four Corners Community Church. <laughs> Sorry, it's the song again. The song like, is just getting me. Can we wait for the can we wait for the words to come in? I don't think the words are coming. They're not. It's just instrumental. In your okay. mind. Yep. In your mind. <laughs> I'm Ian Simpkins. I'm the teaching pastor of Community Christian Church's Yellow Box in Naperville. And this is day two of The Common Good on AM 1160. And we are humbled and excited to be able to um, be part of this show. And to go on this journey with you, our listeners, we hope uh, that you'll stick with us in the coming days and weeks and we'll grow quite a little community uh, and get to know one another. Well, Ian, I was doing some reading the other day uh, and came to find a, a troubling and maybe not all that surprising statistic. The statistic says this, that the percentage of Americans who define themselves, who define themselves as lonely, doubled from 20 percent to 40 percent since the early 1980s. Wow. So there's a couple staggering things there. One is that it's doubled. Yeah. 
And two is that the number is as high as 40%. Yeah, that's bonkers. So when you hear that, surprised, what, is, what, what, kinda, what comes to mind for you? Uh, I wish I could say I was surprised. I'm really not. I'm heartbroken. That, mm-hmm. Those kind of statistics really uh, bust me up a little bit just because I think we're living under the myth that we're getting more and more connected, you know, because uh, – we have a global reach. We have more platforms, more resources, more technology, and I think a lot of these things are doing incredible good in the world. To be honest, yep. I'm not. I am not one of those guys that knocks social media technology. We should all go back to you know farming. Like I, I, I think that there's a lot of great things. That, like my family lives in Detroit, and so we get to keep you know in contact yeah. with you know Facebook and Skype and all that stuff is a huge gift. But I think the flip of that though is those things, while helpful, don't replace like true doing life together and we've convinced ourselves many of us that it does and so because we feel that we you know i have more friends on facebook or i have more followers on twitter or i have more conversations even via you know email or facebook chat like these things give the illusion of connection and i think is actually highlighting more and more like how lonely we are plus you know we have things like a facebook feed where you see everyone else living their best life, yeah. right? A lot of us are like comparing our blooper reel to everyone else's highlight reel. <laughs> so it gives this sense of like, oh man, everyone else is living life except for yeah. me. I'm just at home endlessly scrolling Facebook. And I think that just continues to compound the issue and feeling of like, man, I'm, I'm missing out. Yeah. And as a pastor, what I want to think about is what does the gospel have to say to people's loneliness? Mm. To put it another way, uh, what do we have to offer this growing number of people who are saying, I'm lonely, I'm searching yeah. for something. Yep. Um, both of our churches have the name community in it. Yeah. I think that's for, on purpose. Yep. Um, so what do you say, what does the church and what does a, a relationship with Jesus uh, have to speak to the people who are increasingly feeling lonely? One of the, one of the things that we say a lot uh, at our church is that life is lived better in circles than in rows. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll, I'll straight up say that from the stage. I'll, yeah, I'll say I love what we do Sunday mornings. Yep. I love it. Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, we have a, a Monday night service. Yep. We, we just love it. Yeah. Uh, I love teaching. I love the, the, the church gathered. But we'll regularly say life is lived in circles, not in rows. So when we go from this row environment, what we really encourage people to do is to find a community. We have small groups all throughout the week, literally every day of the week. Yeah. And we, we talk about Sunday being the push, not the point. It's the push to go then live on mission. And how do we live on mission? We do it together, right? One of the sayings that we use with our, our new thing, Church Planning Network, is that if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. If you want to go far, if you want to make a difference, if you want to actually not just survive but thrive in this like crazy, messy thing called life, like find people who love you, who hold you accountable, that are there for you. And mm. I think it's it's way easier said than done because it takes a lot of courage to like yeah. rap on someone's door and say, hey, is this, is this, am I here at the right time? Can I join your group? Like that's legitimately <laughs> terrifying, but it's it's so worth it. And it is, I honestly think it's the it's the best way to live. And I think when people join churches or get involved in communities, the, the goal should never be anonymity. Right. Right? Like if that's what you're looking for, you're missing the point. Totally. Uh, churches are meant to be families. Churches are meant to be communities. Uh, in which you are known and where you know other people. That's right. Uh, if you are not a part of a community like that, you need to find a church where you can be known and know other people, whether totally. it be as an entire church or in small groups or both. Um, but I also think this issue of loneliness, it, 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 what does Jesus have to say to it? You know, we just finished Christmas in yep. which he, we praised him for being named Emmanuel, God with us. That's right. 
that it is the truth that in Christ we're never alone. Right. Uh, and that's hard to get because, like, he's not physically by me, right. but, it's, but it's true, and and we need to hold on to that. Well, and the idea of, of God as proximate, right? The mm-hmm. the infinite became an infant, right? Mm-hmm. He stepped down from eternity, entered into humanity. The, the story could have been written, could have been, it could have been played out a thousand different ways, and, and to include, I think, specifically the withness of God, the withness mm-hmm. of Jesus is is meant to imply... And this this is significant, but I think it's also important to say that there's a number of characters about Scripture who who also struggle deeply with loneliness and depression. Like the Bible is filled with these stories. Like yeah. if the if the Bible didn't feel the need to hide those stories, that means that we don't have to either. That's that good. If, if there's sto- there's a whole book called Lamentations, mm-hmm. lamenting these immense feelings of sadness and loneliness and anger. A third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. Jeremiah says, "I wish I'd never been born." Like. Don't, that's re- if I was putting the book together, if it were my call, I wouldn't include those stories. I think those stories are such a beautiful invitation to see the sacred witness, even in like the deepest pits of despair, because we all have them. We all experience that. That's good. And and when it comes to loneliness, I almost, in a strange, backwards way, find these statistics can be encouraging, hmm. because it means if you feel lonely, so do a lot of the people around you. Absolutely. So do a lot of the people around you. Like part of loneliness is often feeling like I'm the only one. Uh, who struggles with this. Well, that's not true. That's exactly right. Um, and so I would say uh, we like to give the different sayings, you and know, I give our churches and stuff. Another one I give is if you long for deep community, it begins with shallow community. Mm. Shallow community is your gateway to deep community. Mm. So start pushing in. Yeah. What are spots where you could take that step to uh, to connect with people uh, and then remembering that that ultimately Jesus says, I will be with you always. Like right. The gospel is really the answer uh, to our loneliness. Right. And even, even you know, for the people that maybe are feeling like, I, I don't even have the energy to lean in, to learn to wave a hand, to mm-hmm. say, hey, I'm, I'm not doing well. Like, I'm feeling isolated. The thing that always blows me away when I feel sheepish about, like, asking people to help with something, hey, can you guys help me come over and move this piece of furniture? I'm always, like, really hesitant. Like, I yeah. don't want to put you out. I'm always blown away by, like, how eager people are to, like, do life together. Yeah. And it always is so surprising. Why did I put this off? Why did I wait so long to wave a hand and say, I just really need a close friend right now. Yeah. You have time for coffee this week. And people are like, yeah, I'll absolutely make time. It blows me away how eager people tend to be and how sheepish I am about asking. It's fascinating. Uh, if you're out there and you're lonely, we would say uh, press in. Find a, find a church where you can know others and be known. Reach out to a friend uh, and know that you're not alone. Uh, well, coming up next, uh, we are going to talk, we are going to shift gears a little bit, and we are going to talk about a Jesus comic book. Yes, a Jesus comic <laughs> book. So join us, be sure to stay, uh, and we'll have that conversation here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. I'm the lead pastor of Four Corners Community Church, joined by Ian Simpkins, the teaching pastor at the Yellow Box uh, <laughs> CCC in Naperville. Uh, it's been good to be here so far today. Uh, and before uh, before the break, we told you we were going to come back and talk to you a little bit about a comic book and Jesus. So why don't you tell us that story? Why don't you pay it off for us? I'm just going to straight read for you a little. This is from ChristianHeadlines.com. And uh, the first three paragraphs of this article... Are incre- it just opens by saying an upcoming DC comic series will have a familiar character, Jesus. 
The DC Comics imprint DC Vertigo will introduce Christ as a superhero in an upcoming series titled Second Coming, which has him teaming up with Sun Man. The first issue, first issue in a series goes on sale March 6th. And this is, this is a quote from CBR. It says, Witness the return of Jesus Christ as he is sent on a, on a most holy mission by God to learn what it takes to be the true Messiah of mankind by becoming roommates with the world's favorite savior, the all-powerful superhero Sun Man, the last son of Crispex. And I thought for sure this was the onion. I thought this was a joke. <laughs> and I looked around. It's it's not. It's mm. such a bizarre. Like now, this is an extreme example. Yeah. Um, and I imagine they're intending for this to be a little cheeky, which we'll get to that a little bit later. But like, I don't know, man. Sometimes our inability to depict Jesus in media with integrity, yeah. right? Like this sort of, we sort of feels like it. It cheapens a little bit. Not that I don't think. God doesn't have a sense of humor, right? But like when I read stuff like that, do you, do you get the sense at all that like wow, this sort of flattens the whole thing out a little it bit? Does like on the one hand, you know, on the positive side, you're excited that the name of Jesus is getting out there in popular culture, right? Uh, we're using things within culture uh, in order to hopefully spur conversation in His name, but there is a, it does feel like a little bit of a loss of reverence, right? Right, exactly, <laughs> and uh, an understanding of who Jesus is. He's not another superhero, or, right? Um, so yeah, you know when you see the Jesus bobbleheads or you see this, it, it you do feel that inner tension, don't you? It's a little bit like this, like the Stetzer quote, though, right? When we talk about like buddy Jesus, you know, like this idea, like okay, yeah, did, I'm a friend of Jesus. There's there's some biblical truth to that, yeah. but when you make him into a cartoon or yep. something, kind of to be, my, I don't know, I. I'm. I mean, I'm usually not a, a prude when it comes to this kind of yeah. stuff at all. I, have, <laughs> I think a, maybe a little bit of an irreverent sense of humor, but like this, you know, I, how do you how do you like respond as a pastor as a dad? Like, do you have any experience with that kind of like Christian media marketing type stuff? Uh, have I t- ever told you my experience in college? <laughs> oh, my, my work on. experience. Oh gosh, I spent two summers, full summers, uh, while I was in college back home working for an organization, a company called Testaments. <laughs> and the Testaments tagline was the mint with a message. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and so what Testaments was, was like a velament, you know, like a mint. Right. right? And it, it, instead of uh, just being a mint, it had a cross in it. No. And on the outside of the package was just a Bible verse. What? And it was the mint with a message. And so one summer I spent my entire <laughs> summer calling every Christian bookstore in the country uh, sometimes people yelled at me. Usually they hung up on me. A couple of people <laughs> took them. Uh, my second summer, they they flew me around to different like Christian conferences to just sell these mints. Wait, man. so Testaments was doing – they were doing well enough to fly you across the country to I sell these the, mints? I think the operative word here is were. Okay. <laughs> um, but it was wild. But it was really interesting to, to bring it back to our conversation here. Um, people would get mad at me. And I was like, hey, I'm a college kid just trying to make right, money. Right. But people would get mad at me because they thought it was irreverent. You're just using the cross to, hmm. to just chill something hmm. cheeky. Right. Right. And um, I couldn't – I didn't disagree with them, yeah. but I needed a job in college. It was started by a guy in my church back home. That's right. how I got into it. Right. And, uh, but, yeah, you know, you go into Christian bookstores or other things, and sometimes you do cringe yep. at the things we buy uh, or the things we post on Facebook, right? right? The meme of Jesus doing this. Well, we're just creating a Jesus in our own image, mm. and that's really dangerous. It is dangerous. That's kind of the definition of exploitation and idolatry, it really, is, right? This idea that this version can somehow move my agenda down the f- – and I'm not knocking – I mean, Christian teach. you know, I used to – I still love puns, by the way. I love puns. But remember those shirts where it was like – 
it looked like the Crest logo, but it said Christ instead, or that that kind of stuff. To me, like as a kid, I found it hysterical, and I would legitimately wear it, you know, as a way to like spark conversation. I thought it was interesting, and now that I look back, I kind of cringe a little bit. But even like in terms of TV and movies, you ever notice that Jesus in these depictions is always, always white? Yeah, he's always like beautiful right he's always just perfectly like shampooed hair and this really meek right and he just floats everywhere and i think how did we get to that version of jesus and why is that so much more popular than like the carpenter builder this messiah this rabbi that didn't have a home like that version seems so much maybe it's less marketable maybe maybe that's why then you know we have comic book versions like this that i don't know what's what's the end goal there like do you think that has Market value, will someone read this? Could that possibly be a bridge to them meeting the real Jesus? I, I don't think that's necessarily the goal. I think I've, when I was young, I probably would have bought the Jesus comic book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or the I Jesus trading cards. Or, uh, you know, I wore every Christian t-shirt you can imagine. And none of those are bad. But uh, I do think like what you're getting at is it probably gave me an inaccurate view of who Jesus was mm. or is. Mm. Um, I remember reading the book... Um, I think it was Philip Yancey, wrote a book called The Jesus I Never Knew. Hmm. Uh, it's now an older book, but if you ever are looking for a book about Jesus, I would highly encourage it. Philip Yancey's The Jesus I Never Knew. And I happened to read it when I was in the Holy Lands. I spent a summer oh, in the no Holy kidding. Lands. Uh, and it blew up my mind of who Jesus is hmm. because it tried to go back into Scripture while I'm in the Holy Lands and give a more accurate view of this is who Jesus is. Right. And it just kind of blew up the kind of um, neutered, um, clawless Jesus that right. I probably had believed growing up a little bit and had taken more into my college years and into my adult years. And uh, yeah, I think we need to be reminded and ask ourselves, who's the Jesus of Scripture? There is nothing wrong with the Jesus comic book. Right. There is nothing wrong with a Jesus action figure sure. or this and that. Um, there is something wrong with our kids and our churches and mm. ourselves not having a good view, an accurate view mm. of the biblical Jesus. Well, you think of like Jesus in the temple, right? Like he's mm-hmm. he's flipping tables and he's cracking whips. And I used to think it was because he was mad stuff was being sold. I come to find out years later, it wasn't because stuff was being sold. It's because they were exploiting the poorest and most marginalized yep. among them by overcharging. It's like the thing that flips Jesus' lid is exploitation, yeah. is people taking advantage mm. of the most vulnerable of culture. And I think, okay, so we don't get a whole lot of outbursts of Jesus in the Gospels at least, yeah. but the thing that does outrage him, does that outrage us? Is that the version of Jesus? Or do we still sometimes love long hair Videl Sassoon Jesus <laughs> that floats everywhere with his Miss America sash and bathrobe, right? Like that's It is the dangerous thing when you read Jesus, when you read the Gospels, uh, he flips out at exploitation, as you said, at, at what's going on, the robbery in the temple. Right. And he most fights with the religious. That's right. And uh, those are the things that we need to teach. Those are the things we need to keep in mind because it becomes so easy to be the religious. It yeah. becomes so easy to be the Pharisee or to be the guy selling in the temple. Um, and uh, I think it's important for us to – I think the takeaway from this for me is not – don't buy the Jesus uh, book or don't right. watch the Jesus movie or don't do this. It's no, do all those things if you want, but please strive to have an accurately biblical view of Jesus. Share that with your kids, share yeah. that with your neighbors, share that with your church, uh, because that's the hope. That's the Jesus we put our hope in. Totally. That's the Jesus uh, who is Lord. And, and make it part of your prayer. God, help, help me to better know the real Jesus. Strip away 
the cartoony versions of him that aren't actually him that are that are getting in the way of knowing the real Jesus. And I I've prayed that prayer before, sometimes timidly. Like I don't I don't know that I'm ready, but I think that God really does begin to show us this this is who Jesus really was and is, and that's a really really important thing for us to do. Absolutely. Coming up next, we're going to talk about this Clemson game. Join us right here, the Common Good AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Well, good afternoon and welcome to The Common Good. My name is Brian Fromm and I am excited to be joined again today by my co-host and friend, Ian Simpkins. Uh, Ian, we're back again. We made it. Day two. Day two. So uh, I am the lead pastor at Four Corners Community Church in Darien, Illinois, and uh, excited for day two of this radio journey that we are on, uh, that we are calling The Common Good. Why don't you reintroduce yourself, Ian? Yeah, I'm the teaching pastor at uh, Community Church's uh, Naperville Yellow Box location. So we have 10 locations all throughout Chicagoland. I'm at uh, Naperville Yellow Box, and it's called the Yellow Box because it's a big yellow box. Because it's a big yellow box. Fitting. <laughs> Hopefully I don't paint it someday. Uh, if you were with us yesterday, what we talked about was kind of our heartbeat behind this show and why we've called it The Common Good. Uh, just a thumbnail sketch of it was a little bit of this, is that uh, there's so many things in this culture uh, that divide us. That we look for what we don't have in common with somebody, and we allow that to separate us. And oftentimes, we don't look for the good in other people. We look for the bad. Right. And I think you're in my heart to this show is to say, how can we help people think in a Christ-like way uh, to bring unity and to look for the good in other people? And not and not just that, but also the the idea of the common, also meaning the mundane, the ordinary, the the space that most of us live in yes. most of the time. Most of us are not living on the mountaintop all the time, although there'll be experiences, right, that kind of really blow our minds, that kind of really resonate in our souls. But the idea that the vast majority of our time is in this ordinary space. How do we, just as as people as humans, actually learn to better engage with those things? Maybe see through a different lens, like some of the good that. The, the beautiful right right under our noses, and how do we how do we engage with that thoughtfully? Yeah, and so uh, in this first segment, what we want to talk about today is the concept of generosity. Uh, and Ian, you were sharing with me kind of a funny story you found that will uh, kind of be our jumping off point here. Yeah, it's it's about a, a nine year old kid from from Rock Island, Illinois, and I I love this story so much. The first line says, "A nine year old boy emptied his savings account this week and donated around three hundred dollars worth of goods." To a local homeless shelter, like a nine. I don't know what you were doing when you were nine. <laughs> that is certainly not what I was doing when I was nine. And I, I remember, like when I read this, I thought about why is it that kids seem to get this idea of generosity so much more profoundly? Like there's a there's like this innate like wonder and awe to life about them. And this kid, you know, later in the article, the kid speaks about it so matter of factly. Like he wasn't doing it for publicity or Facebook likes. He just he saw this issue and his like beautiful heart was like I I can make a difference I could do something about this pain in the world I think what a what a beautiful example this nine year old kid is to all of us Yeah I know you asked what were we doing when we were nine I wasn't doing that at thirty nine Right and right. Uh, it is it, especially the older you get the more the pressure of 
um, uh, financial pressure kind of builds in your life. And you're like, I need every dollar in order to make my bills and help my kids and whatever else. Um, I struggle with generosity. I I really do. I struggle. Uh, I I sometimes think um, with the help of my wife, she will tell me this, that I tend to be cheap and just kind of hold on to things. Mm. Uh, And I don't want to be right. I'm I'm not sure I practice what I preach with generosity. So um, what do you think grows us? to have attitudes and to have lifestyles of generosity. That's that's a great question. The first thing that I think is critical is to see everything that we have as a gift. Yes. That like the idea of stewardship, it actually doesn't have much to do with this 10% tithe idea, which is a fine place to start, but the, the New Testament doesn't speak of tithing at all actually. There is no 10%. Paul speaks of like be generous, be sacrificial, be proportional, be consistent, be cheerful. And this idea of like Everything is a gift, not not just monetarily, but the skills and talents I have, breath in my lungs. And so if you begin to see everything first as a gift that we're to steward well in the world, it's way less about like, God, how much how much of my money do I have to give? It's more like, God, how much of your money do I get to keep? Like if it's yeah. all yours anyway. But I think the other thing that's important because, I don't know, sometimes people hear pastors say stuff like that and they're like, yeah, sure, that's all fine and dandy. Right. I see it as a gift. But I think... To also realize that there's there's a ton of great research to support the idea that like generosity leads to greater mental health, greater happiness in our in our own lives. That it, it actually does something physically to us as well. And this idea of of clinging tightly, like you were saying, white knuckling, yes. is is a, such a source of like anxiety and dread and fe- like stuff that I don't think we we actually want. It's like Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, "Teach those who are rich to." To be generous yeah. to, so, so that they may take hold of the life that is really life. He's yeah. saying, don't put hope in treasure. Like, don't – that stuff's eventually all going to burn anyway. Like, this is the way you take hold of life by, like, living open-handed lives. Anyone who's ever, like, dared to do that, they know, they know that that's true. Yeah. And I believe for, in my life it is, it is legitimately proportional. Uh, the level of my generosity to the level of my thankfulness for the generosity of Jesus. Hmm. Right, like, what is the most generous story in all of the Bible? It's yeah. that God so loved the world that He gave, right? Gave His only Son, right? And so, therefore, if I'm growing in Christ likeness, it means I must be growing, right, in generosity, right? And so, therefore, when I am not growing in Christ likeness, I think a fruit of that is I just hold on more tightly. Hmm. I hold on more tightly, um, and it, it's a hard one though because. Uh, there's things that we want, there's things that we need to pay off, there's all these things, and so money, money's a tough one. Well, and it's interesting, too, you, you referenced, you know, John three sixteen, maybe the most yep. recognizable verse in all of Scripture, yep. and it says that the generosity of God was a, a response of his love. Yep. Like, it's not out of guilt or compulsion, you yep. know, and I think I, I so often hear these, like, these generosity guilt trips about how you really need to, you really should. He's like, man, he, he so loved the world that the response then was this radical generosity. I think about like my wife and my kids, like no one has to coerce me to like get, I just love giving to them. I love seeing the look on their face. I love spending time with them. When we see generosity as a, as a reflex or response of love, that's a totally different output than this. Like, well, I guess I'm supposed to, cause that's what a good Christian does. You know, like obviously there are components of like discipline and doing stuff. Sometimes we don't want to just like eating vegetables or working out, but I think at, at its core, though, it's a response of gratitude. It's, I think it's why nine-year-olds have so much to teach us about this. This is yeah. why I think Jesus says, man, these kids, they're closer to the kingdom of heaven than a lot of you adults. In fact, yeah. if you don't become like them, you're, you're going to miss it because they just 
I think that they just see the world in a different way. And so if there's a need, they're like, well, yeah, I got, I have money. Yeah. Take my money. This, this, if this will do some good in the world, you know, we get all anxious about like, well, I got to be careful about this spending and that spending, which isn't a bad thing to be careful with our spending. But yeah. kids just have this posture of awe and wonder that I think sees in a really beautiful way all of life really truly is a gift yeah and one of the most amazing stats it's humbling and i've used it at our church often uh is that uh the the level of generosity does not increase when you have more money right it in fact decreases or at least levels off. that's right that's right um and then there's another one man this is the most convicting one at uh, there was a study there was a survey that took every um income level and they took it under a hundred thousand and then they took it every 100,000 up to a million plus. Hmm. Okay? And what they said was, the question posed to the people was, um, how much more would it take for you to be content? Right. Okay? So you're talking people who make less than 100 grand, people who make over a million dollars, everything in between. And the amazing thing they found was that the answer was the same in every graphic. No kidding. The answer was the same in every every. Uh, portion in terms of a percentage more. Yep. The what do you think the percentage was? I don't know. Ten percent. No kidding. Everyone, the people making a million said, if I had ten percent more, I'd be okay. I would be good. Wow. People making fifty grand a year said, if I had ten percent more, I'd be good. It's this perception of the carrot that's out there. Yeah. That if we could just have a little bit more, if we could just have a little bit more, there's something just out there that if I get it. Well, then I'm going to be generous and I'm going to be right. content, right? The well, Bible talks a lot about contentment. That's that Rockefeller quote, right? He was the wealthiest man in America. And a reporter asked, okay, John, how much is enough? And his response was kind of haunting. He said, just a little more. Just a little more. Which is why I think, you know, Jesus spends like 25% of his earthly ministry talking about money, resources. Yeah. He says things like, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Mm-hmm. I think that's like, you know, the light on our dashboard. It's, you know, when the, when the oil light on your dashboard comes on, it's not letting you know you have a light problem. It's letting you know you have an oil problem. Yeah. Like, he knows money is this indicator of what's really going on at our heart level. Like, you say this is really important. Let's follow the paper trail. And Jesus says, man, where where, where your money is, where your resources are, that's, that's where your heart really actually is. So what's the word of wisdom to the person in their car right now coming home from work? Yeah. Uh, they're just trying to put food on the table, or they've got a lot. Yeah. What is our word of wisdom? How do you grow in contentment and then out of contentment generosity? I think it always begins with gratitude. Mm-hmm. And anything else that we've just said without a posture of gratitude is is dangerous. I think it's legalism at its best. And uh, to begin a pie, I, I honestly I like to start the day with gratitude. Like, all right, what are, what are three things I'm grateful for? And mm. there's no hocus pocus to it, but it I find that it like frames my brain, yeah. like it frames my heart for the rest of the day. Like, okay. Some stuff is still really hard. I am still struggling here. That doesn't go away, but man, I, there are some things in my life that I, I did not earn, I did not deserve, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. And I find that when I remember those things, the response tends to be greater generosity. Like, man, this is all a gift in the first place. So whether it's a lot or a little, I, it starts to loosen my white knuckle grip on my stuff a little bit, you know? Yeah, that's really good. And I think that also with some intentionality, like I find myself being more content and more generous when I know where all my money's going. Yeah, right. And like, oh, I actually do have enough. To, to, I've got more than I think I can no give away or this or that. And uh, so I think having some intentionality, like generosity doesn't just happen. I believe it's got to be planned for. That's right. Unless you're a nine-year-old kid who's like, oh, I got this money. Right. What do I do with it? But he still planned. He like made yeah. a plan. I think generosity, I think that's one of the weird things that people don't understand. Like, well, I'll just be generous if it's there. It won't be there. Right, and right. so you've got to plan for it, uh, be intentional about it. And I love your thing there about 
uh, it being spurred out of gratitude, gratitude for what you've been given right. in Christ, uh, the most uh, generous um, act ever given. Mm. And so what is our response? It's yeah. worship to him and generosity uh, to others. That's well, good stuff. That's a good start to today, ma'am, talking about generosity and money. Uh, something that we all struggle with and we all wrestle with. We, our hope is that we would all grow hmm. in contentment. Well, coming up next here on The Common Good, uh, we're going to talk about what does it look like to have a Christian worldview, a full Christian worldview. So join us uh, after the break. This is The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Brian Fromm, along with Ian Simpkins. Uh, glad that you're here joining us today. Uh, one of the things Ian and I like to do uh, as this show continues to go uh, is just talk about some things we're reading, some things that is, are challenging us that we can hopefully then discuss and challenge you with. So, Ian, I was I picked up a book that m- many of us have read before. It's an old book going on 20 years now or 15 years called uh, it's John Piper's book, Don't Waste Your Life. I yeah. uh, like to go back to that every now and then and just, uh, oh, yeah, what's the purpose of life? And he begins by telling a story. Uh, Piper says this, I'll tell you what tragedy is. I'll show you what, how to waste your life. Consider this story. A couple took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Sounds like the American dream to me, right? Yeah, right. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. Picture them before Christ at the great day of judgment. Look, Lord, see my shells. Hmm. That is a great tragedy. Hmm. And I read this book, and it's classic Piper, right? He hits you pretty hard, but it really gets at this. What is the point of life? What is the purpose of life uh, that we usually call the American dream versus what is the point in Scripture? Uh, Talk to me. How do you wrestle with that question? Well, I first I, I wonder if he would still write those words now that he is sort of pseudo retired. Like I think it's it's fascinating to write about that idea when you yourself are still you know yeah. fully entrenched in you know life and rhythms of ministry. Because I I'll be I'll be really honest. I'm kind of torn. Maybe it's maybe it's because I'm in a season right now with you know babies and stuff, and we're just tired. I'm like man. Uh, collecting seashells sounds <laughs> kind of nice. Good. I know that that would bore me though in about yeah. a day and a half. But I, yeah. I think, you know, I'm I'm torn because I don't. I often think that in our culture we we glorify busyness, we glorify accomplishment, we glorify yeah, doing. Right, every commencement speech is like, go change the world, and yeah. I I'm for that. But yeah. I think sometimes that can be a really crushing weight. So that, funny you say that. When I was in my, I would think early 30s or whatever, when I would preach, I can't tell you how many times I talked about. God wants to use you to change the world. Yeah, right. Now that I'm in my 40s, I'm like, wow. Man, just love your family. I'm not sure we're all going to change the world. Well, you could change your world. Right. Right. Well, right. I, my buddy has a sign over his over his sink, and it says, everyone wants a revolution, but no one wants to do the dishes. This, <laughs> like, it's so easy to, like, go after these big glo- – and I, we need that. We need dreamers and innovators. That's we need awesome. people that are willing to, like, take that mountain. But we also need people that are like, I'm going to faithfully love my family, my neighbors, my community. I'm going I'm to be present – with people who suffer, like there, there is something about you, know, you look at like Mother Teresa, who you know became yep. this juggernaut of the faith. But I, you know, I got to spend time at her at her gravesite, and and the way that people talked about her was like, no, she just patiently loved people. She just walked with people. And I think, man, I, I often say I want to die with my boots on. Like mm-hmm. I want to die, like like doing, living whatever it is that I feel like God has like put in my bones, put yep. in my soul. But then at other times, I realize, man, sometimes that 
that is avoiding the deeper thing that's going on in my heart. I think religion can be a great place to hide from God. Mm-hmm. You know, the the doing and the because it looks like good stuff that no one challenges yeah. it, and I think that that can be dangerous too. I think uh, a lot of people took Piper's book to be anti-retirement. Oh yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I think the people that I respect most and that I hope to be, I hope to really retire, Mm. to have that flexibility in my life, to not have the nine to five, whatever else. But I, you know, these types of people, the people I most respect are the ones who retire, but keep living. Yeah, right. And specifically keep living with a gospel purpose. Like, hey, now I have this extra flexibility. How can I use it to further God's kingdom? That's good. How can I use it uh, to continue helping people understand Jesus? It's not... Whereas the American dream kind of is, uh, let's get to retirement. Like, that's the pinnacle so we can just shut it down. Right. And do whatever we want. We can be more um, about myself. And I, and I think the, the point and the goal is, no, your purpose is the same at 20 as it is at 40, as it is at 60, and so on. It is to go and make disciples. And if you get to the stage of life where you have that flexibility, right. use it. Use it to go and make disciples. Well, and you and I are both, you know, the recipients of like really faithful mentorship too. Yeah. And I, I think back on the 60, 70, 80 year old men who like took a chance on a punk 21 year old yeah. that like changed the course of my life. Like truly, uh, it was trajectory altering. And I think, man, I, I hope one day that I, I get to be that for some young men and women yeah. that are coming up behind us. Like that to me, I love what you said, li- living for gospel purpose. It's yeah. not that you don't. Retirement's not bad at all. That's good. But the idea, though, of saying like, okay, I want to, I want to use, you know, these these years in in furthering furthering the the beauty of the gospel in my life, and I think that is easier said than done yep. here from a, a position of a thirty five year old. Yep. But uh, that's kind of my that's kind of my heart. When you get to forty two, you'll understand. It, ah, but. thanks, man. <laughs> uh, that's our goal, people. It is to to spur one another on to live with gospel intentionality, to continue living out our purpose of. Uh, knowing Jesus and making him known, whether you're a 20-year-old uh, just starting work or you're a 65-year-old hopefully moving into retirement, uh, that's our goal. So loving to bring you books that are challenging us, so hopefully you can pick them up uh, and and have some things to read. Well, again, this is The Common Good. I'm Brian Fromm along with Ian Simpkins. Uh, when we come back, we're going to dive back into that football game from last night, but talking about some really impressive aspects of the Clemson head coach and their young starting quarterback. Uh, that are humbling when you read. So uh, join us uh, on the other side of the break when we come back on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Brian Fromm alongside Ian Simpkins. Uh, We're excited that you've chosen to join us today here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Uh, As Ian and I were talking about in the first hour, uh, I stayed up late and watched the football game last night. Not all the way to the end. Most of the football game. (laughs) Not all the way to the end because it it went from a close game to just a route. Uh, If you stayed up, Clemson defeated Alabama last night 44-16 to in the uh, college football national championship. Ian told us rather than watching that, he watched the Wiggles last night. And so, uh, as a service to my family, by the way, sure, let's make sure. not just for entertainment value. <laughs> Justify the, however you although want. Although the songs are pretty catchy, I'm not going to lie. It is amazing that you're still watching the same things I watched with my kids. <laughs> right, right. The fact that they don't make new stuff. But uh, as we said, um, coming out of that national championship game uh, were some really impressive quotes from two people in particular. First was the, cl- the coach of Clemson. His name is Dabo Sweeney. 
uh, Dabo Sweeney. What a, ball, uh, what a baller name, by oh the way. Oh, my gosh, yeah, what a, what a great name. But he took over Clemson about nine or ten years ago and has built them into a juggernaut that now rivals Alabama. But uh, Dabo Sweeney is also a man of faith. And uh, recently, uh, before the game, when asked kind of how do you deal with the pressure, how do you deal with like trying to be the greatest coach, whatever, he said, that's an easy question. He said, hopefully – my life's going to be pleasing to my maker because I know I'm going to meet him one day and he's not going to pat me on the back talking about how many wins I had, wow. how many coach of the year trophies we got, or how much money we made. Wow! Like just this kind of perspective that says football's huge. It's why I make my money. It's my, it, it's my job, but it's right. not my identity. And yeah. then there's the quarterback. Yep. Okay? This guy is by the name of Trevor Lawrence. If you saw him, he's 6'5", flowing blonde hair. He's got the world. <laughs> like He just has it. He is a 19-year-old true freshman, hmm. starting quarterback for one of the best football teams. He's got an NFL future. Uh, and somebody asked him, basically, uh, how do you – what's it like being the starting quarterback of Clemson, basically, is yeah. what they said. And let me read you his quote. 19 years old. Think about what you said at 19 years old. I'd rather not, actually. <laughs> Trevor Lawrence said, I put my identity in what Christ says, who he thinks I am, and who I know he says that I am. Wow. Like I said, it really does not matter what people think of me or how good they think I play. That does not really matter. That has not been a big thing for me in my situation, just knowing that and having confidence in that. And then he again says, I put my identity in what Christ says, who he thinks I am, and who I know that he says that I am. Wow. I read both of those and was really impressed. Yeah. That, that both in, uh, a, a guy at the top of the coaching profession and a, and a freshman in college uh, have this perspective about their identity and the freedom that gives that. And it made me think about just this concept of identity. So um, thoughts, what do you think about as you as you hear those quotes? I, mean, I think freedom is the right word to use. I know that, you know, I, I grew up in a church and it didn't really click for me until later in my teen years, for sure. I went because our parents said, you're going. And I'm like, okay, well, that doesn't seem open for debate. And the idea of like, you know, surrendering your life to Jesus felt like captivity. Like, wow, what about all the fun stuff I want to do? Like, I'm not ready. Can I do that later in life? Like, I felt, it felt restrictive. And the older that I get, the more I realize that with that kind of rootedness actually comes true freedom. Like, it, it's opting out of the rat race of trying to earn titles and achievements. Not that earning and pursuing is bad at all. I don't think it's bad at all. But, like, you get to hop off the treadmill of like this insatiable, I always have to, I never know where I stand cosmically. I never know where I stand humanly. Like the idea, one of the things that we say a lot is that, you know, that in Jesus, our identity is received, not achieved. Mm. That you're not climbing up some ladder in Jesus's mind. Like yeah. that is, that is so freeing. And it clearly, like based on these two quotes, doesn't lead to a lack of excellence. It's not like, well, I'm forgiven in Jesus. So I guess I don't have to try. They still really? try, but it like, they're not trying to earn God's affection, it's 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 coming out of their affection. Yes. The affection motivates them. Well, then, if that's true, if I am a new creation, if I am made in the image and likeness of this of this God, then I'm I want to do everything that I have, everything that I can to point people to Him. Yeah. Whether you're a football player or you're, whatever that looks like for you to live your entire life, I think why Paul says, whether you eat or drink, whatever yeah. you're doing. Do it to the glory of God, and yep. I think that's that's a perfect example of what true identity in Christ can look like. Yeah, and I read these things, and I, I said this to you yesterday, um, that I struggle with being a people pleaser. 
Like, I care deeply. Right. I said this to our church the other day. I said, I literally don't understand people who don't care what other people think about them. <laughs> I just don't get them. Yeah. Uh, and it's always been something that, that's a dangerous thing. And I think it comes out of an insecurity mm. that says, uh, feed me, make me better. Like, right. you get off the stage after you preach. Uh, am I thinking, man, I hope Jesus was glorified, or do I hope that people say, hey, here, Nux, great job, man, yeah, great right. job. If I'm honest, there are days where I'm hoping, like, totally. hope that guy in the back tells me. Same right here. Um, and sometimes even the lack of that can be devastating. Devastating. It's not, it's not even negative comments proactively said. It's the lack of positive comments. Yes. You think, what did I do? I screwed up. I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't belong here. Especially like, when it's that person who normally gives you the oh, positive comment. Seriously. <laughs> You're like, their silence tells you something. Well, and that's what I don't think people necessarily realize that in preaching, I think good preaching at least, is you you are exposing your heart a little yeah. bit. It's a little bit of like, here, here's what I feel like God is working in me, and you kind of like lay it bare. And have you, like, have you ever had anyone give you a compliment, but they referenced a passage you didn't teach? Yeah. Like they're walking out, they're like, hey, great. Message on Exodus 20. You're like, we were in Matthew 5. What are, you in- <laughs> what are you talking about? Like even those types of things sometimes I, I think I'm right there with you can affect us a little yeah, more sorry. deeply. And, and so when I read guys at the top of their profession, whether it be a professional coach or a high uh, college freshman quarterback, uh, like I read those quotes and not only am I impressed, like I want that for my own life. Yeah, I want to say and I want that for the people in my church or the listening audience here, like I want us to not just talk about our identity being rooted in Christ, but to have our identity rooted in Christ. That's right. That because of what Jesus has done for me, I can't be any more loved. I can't be any more valuable. And now out of that, like you said, I really like how you said that and how you rhymed it. That was good. (laughs) Out of that, we go and live, you know, do your job the best you can, love your family the most you can, but that that doesn't define you. Right. We don't we don't work for God's affection, but we work from it, right? Yeah. That idea that I already have. Like I think I think Brennan Manning said he says God loves us just as we are, not as we ought to be, because none of us are as we ought to be. Yeah. Doesn't mean that we don't still strive. Doesn't mean that maybe we we can't make better dietary decisions or pursue things in our career. All of those things can still be true, yeah. but the the freedom that comes in knowing your identity for the truest thing about you is that Jesus loves you. I think the title I love most in the Gospels. Uh, and throughout the New Testament, that in Christ we are God's children. Yeah. We're children of God. And that, as you begin to understand that, you know, now that we both have children, yeah, right. Like I don't make my kids get up in the morning and be like, earn my love today, guys. <laughs> like, earn my love. No, oh, no. You, don't? you don't? I do love them. Some days it feels more than the others, but <laughs> I love them because they're my children. Yeah, right. They Not because of what they provide for me. And I love them unconditionally. Do they frustrate me at times? Yes. Absolutely. Do they, uh, do we argue sometimes? Yes, but but I think we do that to our Heavenly Father as well. And so living in under that, like what would it look like today to actually live out of my identity as a child of God? That's great. I, I remember, too, a conversation my dad had with me, and he said, you, you will always be my son. That yeah. doesn't change. Yeah. But I want more for you than just namesake. I want more for you That's than just, just be a Simpkin. So it is a, a, a both and that we are fully and completely loved in Christ, and yet— he desires to to chisel out of us the stuff that is toxic to us yep. and to others. Like that, that is the, the the both and that he loves us fully and completely, and also too much to let us stay wherever it is that we're at. And like a loving father, walks alongside yep. us. Right, isn't off on some distant planet just yelling decrees, but but joins us yep. in the midst of our life. Friends, if there's anything we can impart on you this new year, it's live out of your identity, understand your identity in Christ, have that security and live out of it. Learn from a 
from the, one of the best football coaches in the world or from a 19-year-old freshman quarterback. <laughs> it's kind of the same message. But we're going to come back and wrap up the show. Ian has an inspirational, challenging story for us that he's going to share. Uh, join us as we come back on AM 1160, The Common Good, uh, Hope for Your Life. wish you guys could see how much brian is enjoying this song right now it's a little it's a little unnerving uh welcome back to the common good my name is ian simpkins i'm joined by my co-host brian from brian day two we survived we made it no loss of limbs how are you feeling this is just just to see the the music they choose for us it is like <laughs> like having our own personal spotify on the other side i love it it is I kind of it. fun to to you know experience with everybody else yes. what they're choosing for us like that is that is an exciting <laughs> exciting it. discovery love it well i want to end with the story uh it's a little bit of a tearjerker i'm gonna i'm gonna warn you ahead of time so if you're driving maybe <laughs> maybe pull over but it's a really it's a beautiful story. I'm just going to read you a little bit of it. It says, Ted Richardson is a 93-year-old veteran. He and Florence met his teens. Then he left to serve as a Marine in World War II. But he took her picture with him everywhere he went. They got married after the war. And Ted says Florence always took care of him for 72 years. Now it's his turn to take care of her. And it goes on. It says, Ted visits his wife's grave six days a week without fail, taking three buses to get there. He cares for it meticulously, trimming weeds and brushing away leaves. He has already visited over 1,300 times. He says it's Mm. worth it to be close to the love of his life. And I love this story. The story of, I mean, he wasn't doing it for press. He didn't invite like a media team to come record his 1,300 trips. Like this is a a man who, with, with an incredible commitment to his bride, to his wife, to, yep. to say, then this, this, this is how three buses to get the six days a week mm-hmm. just, just to be close to her. And it's amazing to me that stories like this, it, it almost doesn't seem to matter what faith background you have, what generation you live in. Like this story just hits you. Like there's something central, something innate to this kind of commitment, this kind of love, this kind of sacrifice that like all of humanity looks at and just goes, Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. We need, yeah. we need, we need more of that. In the yeah. world. Why, why do you think stories like this, one, are so rare, and two, just hit us so powerfully? I think we all want to have that sort of love in our life, right? Like we want yeah. uh, to have that sort of care for another person and to be cared for in that way. I mean, that is it's humbling. And first of all, to think it. Well, how old is he? Ninety nine. Yeah. Ninety three. Ninety three. Ninety three. I don't plan to be around at ninety three. And if I am, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to hop three buses. But right. Um, it is humbling and it is a reminder of what really matters in life. And I think that's kind of why we wanted to use this story to close the show today is because it's always helpful to be reminded of what are the things that are most important when everything gets boiled away. Right. What are the things that are most important? Hmm. And what would this guy do to uh, just have one more day where he wasn't visiting his wife's grave, but where he was vi- visiting with his wife right and we take so much for granted Hmm. the time that we have Hmm. um and they not to be too melodramatic but uh there's the old saying that says uh the days are long but the uh but the years go fast yeah right and i feel that as a dad as a husband man i i'm next month my wife and i are gonna be married 19 years no kidding if you would like 
there's a time in my life if you told me someone had been married 19 years, I'm like, well, they must be really old. Like, <laughs> 19 years, my wow. dad, daughter in high school. Like, there come these moments where we look and go, man, am I living for what's most important? And this guy yep. is like, you know what's most important is still to visit my wife even though she's gone and passed. And, right. And I think for me it becomes a challenge of going, do I actually live for what's most important or I just kind of run the rat race and go? Well, that's the that's to me one of the – strange parts of our job and maybe you've had this experience that like i we get invited into some of the most intimate moments of people's lives Correct. You know, weddings funerals mm-hmm. I've, I've held people's hand as they breathe their last like mm-hmm. that is a deeply humbling honoring place to be it's a yeah. very strange i don't know that i ever would have anticipated that being so impactful in my life yeah. and i think one of the things that i i've noticed now having done a number of funerals over the years is that it it doesn't matter the circumstances. I always hear people say things like, man, why has it been so long since we've seen each other? And everyone's response is life gets in the way. Wait, yep. That's always our, yep. our go-to excuse. And I'm, I've, only, I've heard that so many times. I wonder, like, what does that mean? Life gets in the way. Life is the thing. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. So why does it take, like, heartache and tragedy for us to, like, snap out of our, our sleepwalking state to be like, oh, this, this is, like, I think that's how the office ends, right? It's, it's yeah. Andy saying, man, I wish there was a way to know that you're in the good old days when they're happening, right? Yeah. We, it's so easy to look back and say, oh, man, I wish I had been more present or I wish I'd paid more attention, but it's it's too late now. How do you right here and now like courageously snap out of the sleepwalk state of just doing, yep. going to bed and then doing it again? You just have to be crazy hard to be like just intentional, right? right? Like I'm going to be a guy who just is – not going to compromise in the fact that I'm going to love my wife and love my kids. Yeah. Like that's going to be number one. Right. I'm going to love Jesus. I'm going to love my family. Right. And anything that's going to take away from that, I've got to be able to push away. Like uh, we said it yesterday, right? Busyness doesn't mean importance. In oh, fact, sometimes right. it get, just gets in the way. How many times do we say, Hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm busy. Yeah. I'm no busy. Kidding. Like it's a badge of honor, but uh, that story is, is just, you know, it's heartwarming because of what he does, but it's also sad just because yeah. he wishes he had more time probably. And yes. We don't want to get to the end of our days and go, oh, I wish X totally. or I wish Y. Totally. Um, I, and I doubt many of us are going to get to the end of our days going, oh, I wish I worked more. Yeah. I wish right. I watched more games. None of those are bad. They're all good <laughs> totally. providing for your family, but um, it's humbling. It's humbling. So I think I'm going to go home tonight. I'm going to love all my kids, Yeah, love my wife, enjoy being home, and uh, yeah, and, and try to remember. Like, for hopefully people driving right now are like, yeah, you know what? Good day at work, good day at this, but I'm, I'm, i got to get my priorities in line. That guy's got his priorities totally. in line. Totally. It made me think of a story when I was at college. My, my mom called and said, hey, we have a bunch of your stuff. you got to come get rid of it. You know, being the firstborn, just <laughs> bins and bins. And I, I started going through some of my old things, and I, I discovered a couple of things. One, that I was a weird kid. But two, that I was a terrible... Shocking. Yeah, I know. Everyone <laughs> everyone listening is shocked. But I was also a really bad journaler. I wanted to be a good journaler, and I wasn't. So I would you know, skip years upon years. But a theme that I found throughout all of them is that I kept using the phrase, man, I can't wait until. Mm. Like in junior high, I was like, I can't wait until high school. That's when I'm going to really come into my own. Or I can't wait until college. That's when I'm going to really figure out like who I am. I can't wait till I'm... you know. And I'm like reading these thinking... And I've been sleepwalking through whole seasons of my life, looking at the next thing, yep. like missing what God has for me right yep. here and now. And that, that to me, in a lot of ways, that's my prayer, not just for today, but for this show. Like, yep. how do we courageously hit pause when the world keeps saying, go Amen. faster, do more, right? You're, you're not enough. How do we hit pause? 
hop off the treadmill and say, man, whatever is around me, who, whoever is around me, and this is, this is a gift. I want to be present in whatever I have right now. That's God, great. give me eyes to see the people and circumstances with, with a fresh perspective. Yeah, be secure in your identity in Christ. That's right. And, and prioritize those relationships where you need to be most present, right? Love your wife, love your kids. Uh, love Jesus, love other people, and and life's going to be good. That's right. Life's going to be good. So that's a great way to end the show today, man. Man, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate all of you. I think that this is going to be a real fun journey together. I'm excited for what the weeks and months and years ahead have in store for us. Thank you for joining us on The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, joined by my co-host, Brian Fromm, on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.